before we came in to sit this evening, I was bursting with a with the uh, with a kind of joy, the joy of of um, the joy of seeing and experiencing for myself uh, in the in the um, expressions that I have found in others, seeing the the marvelous effects of practice, seeing the effects of a, a life of uh, meditation, a life of mindfulness, the liberating power of of awareness, of practicing moment-to-moment awareness. And this was this is what I was thinking about earlier, and I was thinking about so many people in my life now who, who I, I have the good fortune of being able to talk to and hear about their practice, and, and I, it's, I'm just over, overjoyed with seeing the, the fruits of, of all the effort that has been put in to maintain some continuity of mindfulness in the course of, of their lives. And I, that's one cause for me of tremendous faith in the practice. But another cause is, of course, the experience that, the, that has arisen in my own heart and mind and the effects of practice through the years. And, but when I meet with people, my faith is increased. When I practice myself, my faith is increased. And it gives me a tremendous amount of confidence and fuel to continue the um, encouragement of others to practice. And practice to me is, is very simple in a way. We basically commit to, as we often call it formally, we call it uh, taking the three refuges, but we're essentially committing to being aware to cultivating the awareness that is already natural to us. So that's, to me, I call that going to the Buddha for refuge. Buddha simply means awake. And when I go to the Buddha for refuge, instead of, instead of taking um, refuge in, uh, in imaginary things and uh, in what I want to be, what I could be, whatever, whatever I was, when I, instead of going everywhere else but here for refuge. I go to the Buddha for refuge. I go to that in me which is awake. And the good news about that is I don't have to travel very far. And I don't have to wait. Last week we talked about non-postponement. I don't have to wait to be aware and awake. So that's... And there's a fruit to going to the Buddha for refuge. Now, you can think of it as going to the historical Buddha and drawing inspiration and bowing to the Buddha statue and, and doing all that, the more outer formalities of that. But the inner meaning is to not let a single moment go by without taking the Buddha, your own, your own, in, in, your own intrinsic wakefulness, as your refuge. Why do we take that as our refuge? Because it brings, it brings clarity. It starts to clarify reality. It allows us to see life the way it is. 
not how we hope it will be, how it was before, how it could be, should be, would be, but how it is, how it has come to be. And when we practice, when we cultivate the habit of going to the Buddha for refuge, and that simply means committing to be aware as much as we can, from the moment we wake up in the morning, to be ceaselessly self-aware, ceaselessly noticing what is happening uh, through the different doors of perception, to the extent that we can, knowing that every single one of us, because of our conditioning, will find ourselves having been absorbed in, in our imagination, lost in thought, uh, lost in our uh, views about ourselves, lost in our views about others, we'll find ourselves having been uh, so absorbed that there was not, there was not the, the sense of that aware presence, there was not that sense of self-awareness. But we eventually wake up again. And at that moment we wake up, the key is to say, yes, I'm awake again. I've, I've come back to my reliable refuge called the Buddha. And we're just calling it the Buddha tonight. And the second thing that the, uh, what, a Buddha, what a Buddha knows and what the second thing that we go to for refuge when we, if you are committed to practice and if you have any inclination or inkling that it may be of some benefit, the second thing that, and the very simple, accessible thing to pay attention to is uh, whatever you're aware of. So there's being aware, and then whatever you're aware of. We call that the Dharma, the truth, what's happening right now. So that doesn't take very long. You don't have to travel very far. It's, as it's nearer than it takes no time and takes no space, no distance. Right here. What's happening? What's happening? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I smelling? Of course, you can't notice all those things at once, but whatever it is that seems prominent, that's what you notice. And never forgetting the, the, what we call the sixth door of, perception. We have, door of perception. We have the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body. And then we have the sixth door of perception is what we call the mind. and Our thinking, our feelings, our... our um, our attitudes, uh, our um, you know perceptions, our intentions, all those, all the different uh, mind um, mind states and mind objects and states of the heart and moods, emotions, everything that we call mind. Of course, you could say everything is mind, um, but in this case, it's just what it is that we, um, mostly what we're thinking and feeling, just to simplify it. So this is the Dharma, the truth. And that's what Buddhas know. The Buddhas know the truth. And when we go to the Dharma for refuge, now traditionally when you go to the Dharma for refuge, you go to the, the teachings. The Dharma is also called the teachings. It's called the um, the way, the the um, the way of awakening, the way of practice. It's dharma is uh, 
all that, all that the Buddha disseminated over 45 years after his, his own awakening to his intrinsic nature, until it, his awakening to freedom. And we can all draw inspiration and support from this amazing, uh, precise, subtle, deep teaching on, on the nature of, of suffering, the causes of it, and the, the deconstructing of it so that we can see that what it is that causes suffering and what is it that can end suffering. And it's beautiful. And, and what kinds of actions in our life bring more happiness? Which kinds of actions bring more unhappiness? And to, and to discern that. that. The body of teachings is a wonderful template for us to, to uh, use as a, a way of looking at our lives uh, more freshly, as being more self-aware. But in the simplest way, the Dharma is just you sitting here. The Buddha noticing whatever the experience is right now. And the people I was talking about today have been taking that refuge for many, many years. The Buddha just being aware, being aware of what's happening, mingling with the teachings, and to a person, they are more peaceful. They are more energetic, much less complicated. And, and when there are complications, it's so clear the difference between the complications, the proliferations, the elaborations that our mind adds to situations and the simple reality of what's happening, what's the, the basic dharma. But it is a, it's a beautiful thing to both experience from the inside and to watch what happens and what will happen to you if you actually practice and you really practice. You know, we do the, occasionally we do these 100-day practice periods, which I've been not so great at. Um, at I haven't done the, any this year. And I haven't been so good at being the steward of these 100-day practice periods, but a few people have done them. And it's amazing over the course of those hundred days, and some people have extended it to, there's pe- there are people in this room that have sat 1,200 days in a row, believe it or not. And their lives are getting happier. It's, it works. There are a lot of people who support this sangha, who, are, who support this sangha because they have been so touched and affected by practice that it is just over, it's overflowed the gratitude has arisen from that. The heart opening that's come from it has then translated into wanting to support this sangha. And there's a whole behind-the-scenes little cadre of people who, who make, you know, it seems very simple. We come here and sit, but there's a lot of people doing a lot of things behind the scenes. And it, they do it because love has um, taken root in their heart more deeply. And it just flows out as, as uh, generous time and energy. And people tend to, over time, if you really practice, you tend to get, um, like I said, there tends to be more energy. There tends to be less tension when your mind is not bound up in looking for happiness everywhere else, in craving what you don't have craving to get rid of what you do have, trying to shut everything down, trying to go to sleep, 
craving for, uh, for what we call craving for becoming, being in a constant state of pursuit of some imagined place of, of this grandiose place of, of success or power or wealth or whatever it is that you is your, the end of your rainbow. So much tension is bound up in a state of waiting and wanting and hoping and expecting. One person, I forgot who it was, it was some teacher said, the way that we live our lives is like driving with the brake on. And driving with the brake on, are in all in the pursuit of happiness and well-being, we're actually increasing our tension. Because our well-being tends to be so uh, chronically associated with not the dharma of what's actually here, not just being in harmony with the way of things, but it tends to be so much associated with an obsession with what's next. And what's next does not exist except as a thought in the present moment. So being able to bear witness to what happens when, when the Buddha meets the Dharma again and again and again Something gives. We give. We give up the hot pursuit of the fast, of the stimulating, of the extra, and we settle back and we relax. Our mind settles into our body. Attention gets lodged back where it belongs, embodied, embodied presence, the first foundation of mindfulness. Mindfulness directed to the body. It's so interesting. Once my mind is in my body, my body is calmed, my mind settles. Try it for a moment. Just put your mind in your body for a moment. Put your mind, your body in your mind. Notice what happens energetically, almost instantaneously. The body begins to settle. Mind begins to calm. The muscles begin to relax. Why is this happening? This is happening because we've taken the break off, the break of craving. We're, not, we're no longer, for one moment at a time, not driving with the brake on. And so there's a, an experience of, of deeper relaxation that can just grow and grow and grow and grow. Until, as Nisargadatta, who I often read, says, you just discover your mind quiets. If you're keeping it away from its usual preoccupations, not by force or coercion, but you're, you're, because you're oriented to this moment, you're no longer as much preoccupied. And if you're not preoccupied, your mind becomes quiet. And if you don't disturb that quiet and you stay in it, you see that it's, it lights up. We start to feel more energy. Our light begins to, the light of awareness shines brighter and brighter. And you realize that your whole mind and body is permeated with, uh, with, in, with aliveness. As he says, a light and a love you've never known, but you recognize it at once as your own nature. 
But he acknowledges in his teaching, Srinizagadatta, that the unruly mind, you know, all the conditioned habits will break that peace and obliterate that vision, but it's bound to return if the effort is sustained. And of course, life goes, practice goes in cycles. It goes in the cycles of, of purity when our mind is, is joyous and happy. And then it, it's often followed by purification where we can't, we can't even find our body and can't find our breath. Can't find. But that's also part of the unfolding of our practice where we, where we get lost. But if it's sustained again and again, continuing to put our trust in awareness. Once I can be aware of something, even if I can't be aware precisely, whatever I'm aware of, I can, I can work with it. I can say to myself, this is confusion, or this is, this is fear, this is doubt. But when I'm just lost in doubt, I, I'm just carried along living in an imaginary world, and I don't know where I am. But once I notice, oh, I can experience anything Anything, uh, anything is workable once there is awareness of it, once there is clear comprehension of something happening. And he says, if you keep this going like a constant, a constant um, attention to the present, uh, you will, you'll find a passion for here. Your desire to be elsewhere will just start to diminish. And I've seen that. I've seen that. Why would you want to put on the brake again of craving if you, if you already feel so full and enough? That's why I always say, first things first. Find, find happiness first. Then go about changing the world. I don't mean that exactly, literally. Know that nothing... Nothing you do, no place that you go will make you any happier than you are fundamentally. That all that, all that craving for happy, as, as innocent and as natural it is to want to be happy, all the craving for happiness elsewhere leads us to feel more miserable. The only happiness worth that worth that name, really, is being conscious, being the Buddha noticing the Dharma. And you can use being Jesus noticing the revelation of life. You don't have the Buddha Dharma, the words don't matter as much. as just being conscious. But not just for a moment. Not just on Tuesday night. But moment by moment. And you'll find, try it for two weeks, as much as you can from the moment you wake up in the morning until the time you go to bed. I'll guarantee you will feel changed, literally changed, by two weeks of, of regular practice. And I'm referring to both formal practice, time that you sit, put your tush on the cush, you Stay, remain relatively still for a little time to let your, your, uh, let the sense of stillness allow you to get a little bit more in touch with the, um, with the inner stillness and the and the, the ever-present stillness that that um, 
underlies everything in our life, believe it or not. A kind of immaculate silence that, that underlies the whole of life and death. And if we sit quietly for a while, we begin to resonate with that inner silence, that natural peace. But also we carry that, because we carry that peaceful, aware presence with us wherever we go. You've heard the expression, wherever you go, there you are. Because we carry that with us, we can bring that into our walking. So much walking we do. We can feel our steps. We can, we can bring that aware presence into our meals. Bring, bring that silence into uh, attention and sensitivity to the taste, to the chewing, to the craving, to the aversion, to whatever it is, whatever mishigas we have around food, whatever, whatever, however our relationship is. We let everything in our life be used in the service of awakening to uh, aware presence. Awakening to truth, so that, so that a sense of that relaxation, that sense of aliveness, that sense of letting go, dawns in, in our hearts. It made me think of a passage I wanted to read tonight. This is from Shantideva. Who's famous for his uh, his manual of the song of the, the um, path of the Bodhisattva, his uh, his recommendations to how to live a, a selfless life. This is Shanti Deva's words: As a blind man feels when he finds a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death, the treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life, the tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life, the bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life, the cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated, the sun that dispels darkness, the butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It is a feast of joy to which all are invited. Here is the words, and you can hear these expressions of of the fruit of practice. These are not just, this is not just poetry. These are songs of realization. This is from the nun, Naguma. Don't do anything whatsoever with the mind. Abide in, a, in, in an authentic, natural state. One's own mind, unwavering, is reality. The key is to meditate like this without wavering. Experience the great reality beyond extremes. 
In a pellucid ocean, bubbles rise and dissolve again. Just so, thoughts are no different from ultimate reality. So don't find fault. Remain at ease. Whatever arises, whatever occurs, don't grasp. Release it on the spot. Appearances, sounds, objects are one's own mind. There's nothing except mind. Mind is beyond the extremes of birth and death. The nature of mind, awareness, although using the objects of the five senses, does not wander from reality. In the state of cosmic equilibrium, there is nothing to abandon or practice, no meditation or post-meditation, just this. She's saying, just be mindful, just be aware. Very simple. The fruit of being aware, fruit of taking the seat of the Buddha, noticing the Dharma, is a heart or a mind that lets go. Because the quality, the flavor, the expression of awareness is, a, is the, is the uh, mind of non-clinging. Awareness does not, is not reactive. It's open, it's receptive. It's, it doesn't coerce, it doesn't push, it doesn't pull, it, it opens. And in that opening, there, this, in the quality of letting go, again, I, I'll use the metaphor again, it's taking the brakes off. It's not trying to drive our lives with the brake on. It's, it's relaxing, it's opening to, it's studying, it's being curious, it's being interested. You cannot be interested, you cannot study, you cannot be aware and grab at the same time and fight. And this is essentially what we're what we practice. How hard is that? Anybody have any comments about how how, how hard is it to practice? being the Buddha noticing the Dharma. You had the experience of somebody reflected back to you your situation in a in a very bleak way, yes. really terrible and you're going to have all kinds of problems. Right. And so I got whipped into a frenzy with it and about an hour or two later this brand new thought from nowhere came up that I had bought into a story. Yes, See, so she got all whipped up by somebody telling her how terrible her situation was and then a thought came that I just got whipped up into a story. Immediately it dropped away. The whole, the, the whole thing. The whole drama. The, the mood state, and there was all this space. All this space, yes. Choices that day that had nothing to do with that story. And it was, it really felt like it's directly connected, not only to what you just said, but to what we've been learning. And it, it almost happened by accident. 
It almost happened by accident, but it seems to you to be the fruit of what you've been doing. Yeah, you can. That's how faith grows, because we faith doesn't come in this practice by adopting a belief. It comes through direct experience, like you just described. And the only way to have direct experience is to have direct experience. And if we're sleepwalking, it's hard to have direct experience. But the beauty of being in the vicinity of practice is we start to have moments where we wake up to having been sleepwalking and see the difference between whatever that drama is that you got whipped up in and just the simple reality that we're here tonight. How complicated is this experience tonight? If, you're, if we're just experiencing it simply, please. Recently lost his driver's license. Yeah. I'm repeating just so everyone That's can hear. Fine. I'll try to talk about it. Uh, so, right, immediately after I lost it, I was thinking to myself, I could either be a victim or a victor in this, in this instant. I could go, come from a place of loss, or I can come from a place of opportunity. Beautiful. And um, rather than, than put myself in that place of loss, I looked at it towards, well, um, um, it's just misplaced now. It'll turn up, and I'm not going to worry about it until it does. So you put a positive spin on, a right. positive, an optimistic um, view. At the same time, I figured, oh, well, I, I must have lost it over here. I'll take a walk back over there and take a look. I go back over and I look and I didn't find my wallet, but I did find thirty dollars. Wow! <laughs> and um, and then a day later, I get a phone call from four or five different people saying, "We know who's got your wallet." So I went and picked it up today. Yay! And and just that whole being present. Being present allowed you the choice to how you wanted to respond to. Yeah, exactly, and. And that's what I hear increasingly is that is that capacity to uh, to act instead of react. We tend to be so reactive, and that react reactivity, which we're all conditioned to do, it creates tension, and the tension then creates a lot of that whipping up, as you described. And when we when we start to infuse our moments with with awareness, that um, there's more space in our mind. More choice in our mind, more capacity. It's not. I'm not. This is not rocket science. More capacity to, to be happy and simple. And not need so much to be to be happy. To be well. But the key is that we all, in whatever variation of our of the way we look at it, it's, it, it the effect is the quality of letting go, of letting go of our, of our fixations and our, our demands and our expectations and, and living in reality. First and foremost, how, how are things right now? Please. Yes. Yes, effort needed is very, very slight. But what was the last part? 
The trick is doing it continuously. So I think that will be our last word for tonight. Other than, uh, than a few little passages on letting go. Dana Falls in her poem called Allow. There's no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Darn a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of our known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. So let us all uh, cultivate moment by moment, new eyes, fresh, mindful, present, going to the Buddha for refuge, going to the Dharma for refuge, and not as much spoken about tonight, but the third most important element of our practice is going to the Sangha for refuge. Keeping like-minded company, keeping company in your life of those who reflect back to you and help you nurture your highest intentions. And it doesn't have to be this sangha, it can be any sangha, or any people, or any beings, what, and using everything in life to reflect back to you your highest values. Let the whole world be your sangha. So may all beings learn to take refuge in awakening, in the truth, and in community of awakening. And may our, may our practice tonight and, and every night be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May all beings everywhere find peace and harmony with things as they have come to be. So I just want to give one last plug for uh, coming to sit with Anushka. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.